Thanks for joining us today. We believe God is going to do great things in your life, and we want to hear about it. Send us your story at mystory@summitsa.com and let us know what He's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, go to summitsa.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. John chapter nine. John chapter nine. We're in a series. This is part two of life-changing encounters with Jesus. And we are rocking the boat with a little non-traditional Christianity. So stay with me. John chapter 9, verse 1 through 6. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither the man nor his parents. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he said it, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva and spread the mud to the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Then he went, washed, and came back able to see. The neighbors of those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is not this the man that used to sit and beg? Some were saying, he is. Others were saying, I'm not sure. It looks like somebody like him. He kept saying, I'm the guy. I'm the man. They kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He said, the man called Jesus, made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went, washed, and received my sight. This is a story about Jesus noticing somebody nobody paid any attention to. It's a common scene. It goes on all the time. A wife is pouring out her heart to her husband about something. He's reading the newspaper. She's more frustrated than anything. And she says, you're not listening to me. And the husband typically says, yes, I can. I can repeat every word you said. Now, the real question to married people, is she satisfied with that answer? Not a chance. She doesn't want him just to hear the words. She wants him to put down the stupid paper, look her in the eye, and pay attention. Paying attention is the most powerful force in the world. Studies have been done and showed that paying attention to people shapes their behavior and their lives. Attention is a powerful force. Attention is a valuable thing. In fact, we don't give attention We pay attention. It's like money. And that brings us to the blind man in John 9. Here's a guy that spent his entire life being ignored. He wasn't worth noticing. He was blind and he was a beggar. You know, the next time you're at an intersection and you see somebody begging, watch him try to catch the eye of a motorist and watch them look straight ahead pretending they don't see him because if they pay attention, they might have to respond. Well, that was this guy's entire life. He was used to being ignored. And by the way, people come to church in churches all over San Antonio every weekend, walk in and walk out completely ignored. Yeah. John says, as Jesus walked along, he saw the man. So this encounter starts with Jesus paying attention to somebody everybody else is ignoring. 
And here's the miracle for this week. Jesus pays attention to insignificant people. He pays attention to you and me. There's not the smallest detail of your life or mine that is not of immense interest to Jesus. He notices you. He's fascinated by you. Now, a couple of you might be boring to other people, but you're never boring to God. God pays immense attention to you. So Jesus sees the guy, and then the disciples notice him after, and they ask a very odd question. Verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned? Did his parents vote for the wrong party? I'll try to be contemporary as I can. Is it this man? Was it his parents that he was born blind? Was it his zip code? Was it where he lived? Now, that's a strange question. The guy was born blind. How could his blindness be caused by his own sin? How could the entrapment of poverty of a young child born to parents, how could that child be faulted for the conditions he's born into? You, can't, you didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose the conditions you were born into. That's just the grace of God. And so the thinking of Jesus' day was that if a mother-to-be worshipped in a pagan temple, the child would be guilty of idolatry because the mother had worshipped in a heathen temple. Now that was completely false, but that's what they thought. And I guess it made people feel better if they could believe that a suffering person deserved to suffer. In those days, people believed there was a cause and effect relationship between suffering and sin. And that's what this blind guy is facing. Can I suggest to parents, even well-meaning parents, never tell your children when they get hurt, God is punishing them. Never. You misrepresent the God of the Bible and you rob Him of grace and mercy and compassion. Now, he spent his whole life with people trying to ignore him. Get the picture. He's blind. That's depressing to people. He's a beggar. That's demanding for people. So in their mind, he's a product of sin, and that was disgusting to people. Mothers would walk by with their kids and teach their children, don't look at that guy. Don't listen to him. Don't talk to him. Don't go near him. Don't pay attention to him. He wants something, and he doesn't deserve it. (laughs) And so does everybody in this room. Now, when you came to Jesus, you were just like that. You want something, and you don't deserve it. That's called grace. Look at verse 3 and 5. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind, you ignoramuses, so that God's work, well, I added that, might be revealed in him. And then he said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Now, Jesus is saying, we've got an extraordinary opportunity. It's day. He's talking about an opportunity. But this extraordinary opportunity is time limited. Like daytime, it's not going to last forever, and it's possible to miss it. So when you miss an opportunity that's special, it's gone. I mean, it's gone. So Jesus says there's an extraordinary opportunity. It's day, but night's coming. The day will be over. But this extraordinary opportunity to do the work of God right now is time limited, and you could miss it. In verse 4, he doesn't say, I must work the works of him who sent me. He says, we must do it. That includes the disciples, and by extension, you and me. You must work the works of God. I think one of the hardest things for human beings and believers to believe 
is that they're actually created to do the work of God. Remember the movie several years ago? I know, Johnny, you'll remember it, The Blues Brothers. I loved it. These two central characters are two bumbling wannabe musicians on a cause. And when people ask them, what are you doing? Their stock answer is always, we're on a mission from God. And it's hilarious to think that these two ordinary, mediocre, bumbling musician wannabes could have been commissioned by the God of the universe. And that's the point of the joke. How could these two losers be on a mission from God? And folks, here's a sidebar. Everything in our world apart from God is designed to keep you and I from believing we're actually on a mission from God. We are. And if you don't believe me, the next time you get stopped by a policeman and he says, why are you going so fast? You just tell him, I'm on a mission from God. <laughs> yeah. See how far that gets you. And the alternative is to believe that you're not on a mission from God. That God has no particular interest, no investment, no attention devoted to what your life or mine is all about. But the truth about your life is you are on a mission from God. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Together, you're a city set on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden. So you got to come to believe that your life and mine is a mission sent by God because it's possible to miss it. And many people do. And that's why Jesus says we've got to do the works of God while it's day, while we have opportunity. Now, when did Jesus do it? Verse 1 says, as he walked along. You know, the point was, it's not, it wasn't his job. Ever hear somebody when you wanted something in a store say, oh, that's not my job? Well, this wasn't Jesus' job. He's not in the synagogue. He's not preaching. He's not feeding 5,000 people. So by implication, the main point you do the work of God is daily as you go along. It doesn't have to be high profile or an important position. In fact, one of the barriers to experience our lives as missions from God is the illusion that we somehow have to have an important job or title or some significant portfolio. But mostly, the business of doing the work of God happens in the routine, ordinary, unspectacular events of your life as you go along. And you change people's lives and you didn't have a clue. That's when these opportunities come up. You know, God's not going to ask you one day, did you achieve financial security? Did you live in the right neighborhood? Did you get the promotion? God will say, hey, did you do my work in your job, with your family, with your friends, in your neighborhood, in your school? Did you love and notice people? Did you extend my kingdom into your little kingdom? Because folks, this is our day. There have been people before us and they're gone. And there'll be people who come after us. Maybe they're not here yet. But this is our day. And if the light of God is going to shine in your little kingdom, in your little chair, where you sit right now this morning, it's going to have to be through you and me, right? So don't miss it, because you don't get it back. Night's coming. Jesus says, but right now, it's day. You're on a mission from God. And as ludicrous as it sounds, it's simply the truth. And you'll do it if you do it as you go along. You'll do it in the people and opportunities that God brings into your life. And you never know what a day's going to bring forth. You just never know. 
So the great question is, what is the work of God? Well, there's a lot of confusion on this point. We always try to turn it into a narrow, rule-oriented, legalistic, or religious kind of thing. And there's great disagreement between the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and Jesus on what constituted the work of God. Look at verse 14 through 16. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes. Oh boy, it's going to go bad now. Then the Pharisees began to ask how he had received his sight. The blind man said, he that is Jesus put mud on my eyes. Then I washed, now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, oh, that man could not be from God because he didn't observe the Sabbath. He just opened a man's blind eyes. That had never been done in history. And this typical American Christian noticed it was on the Sabbath. Oh, shame, shame. Jesus has broken the Sabbath by doing a couple of things. The religious leader had a list of 39 things you're not allowed to do on the Sabbath. Ah, notice. And the critical part to them of doing the work of God is avoiding doing 39 things. They thought that was the work of God. You weren't allowed to cut your fingernails, pluck a hair from your head or your beard, no mixing or kneading, which included making clay. And when Jesus used spit and dirt to make clay, he was violating one of the 39 things you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And more than that, on the Sabbath, healing was not allowed. You could receive medical attention on the Sabbath only if your life was in danger, but you couldn't get better. It, it could keep you from dying, but they weren't allowed to improve your condition. <laughs> only believers do this. So for the Pharisees, the work of God was about rules of Sabbath keeping, not for helping people. The Pharisees had an ethic of avoidance, stay away. And Jesus had an ethic of involvement. So the Pharisees' question was not how can I glorify God, but how can I avoid bringing, bringing disgrace to myself? Now that degenerated into a concern not with God, but with them on their self-image, their reputation, their procedure. They didn't ask, how can I make others clean? They said, how can I keep myself from getting dirty? Welcome to the church. They didn't seek to rescue sinners, just to avoid sinning. Which is why God will use people you don't like, because they're usable, and you're not. You're so, you're so legalistic and so avoidance that you wonder why God will use somebody that's got a flaw or a character flaw somewhere, but he uses them because they're willing to be used, period, because he loves people. So he'll just use people that didn't vote your way or don't live where you live or, or don't uh, have your income or not from your race or something. I love it. He just picks and chooses to confound people. He'll use prostitutes, hookers, thieves, fishermen. He just uses the people that would never get on a platform in an American church. Never. And he'll use them. Which means you're welcome. All of you. All of you fishers and prostitutes and hookers and extortionists. Good news for you today. Jesus is your friend. He doesn't condone your behavior, but he's your friend. So Jesus, in contrast to the Pharisees, got involved. So he sought always in every way he could to help people, to heal people, to save people, and to restore people. Rather than running from evil, he ran right at it with good and evil had to flee. Now, 
Jesus says the work of God is not primarily about rules. It's primarily about people. Jesus said that people are our business. And if we want to do the work of God, start by paying attention to people, especially people everybody else ignores. When you walk into this church, when you walk out of this church, there will be people different than you, look different than you, come from a different background than you, different race than you, and many times if they haven't built friendships, they'll be alone or they'll be off with someone. Notice them. Go to them. Grab a handshake. Welcome. Good to see you. My name is. Every service I walk around and do that. I don't want you to be alone. I will not let you sit alone. I will invade your space. Like me or hate me, I'm going to make sure you know I notice you. I'm glad you're here. For good or bad, I'm glad you're here. Whatever. You need to do that. We could pack this place out, rip down that curtain, and put 5,000 bodies in here if everybody made everybody special. Quit going to your huggy friends. Oh, there's Mary. We're friends. Oh, hi, Mary. Hi. And so we'll hook up by race or we'll hook up by, by our friendship connect group. That's not wrong. But what's wrong is ignoring people everybody's ignoring. Make sure they get included. Go out of your way to hook them. This white guy's going to break into every black crowd out there, every single one of them. And I'm going to do it because I'm doing it on purpose. And we got Asians in here. And we got mixed marriages in here. And we have a few hookers in here. And we have a few pole dancers in here. Oh, I know. I know. And by golly, you're welcome here. And if I get to you, I'm going to shake your hand and love you. And I'm glad you're here. And I believe I can't change you. God can change you. That's the only one can change you. But I want you to enjoy the journey with me. I'm still changing. I know it's hard for you to believe, but I'm not perfect. And do not mess with my wife and ask her anything. Do not. So the religious leaders miss the essence of the work of God. I wonder if we are. It's love. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. Wake up. Love one another. If you want to know what the work of God is, it's love. The first time I ever came to this city, 30 years ago, I went to a minister's association meeting trying to make some friends. I don't know anybody. I don't have any contacts. I thought I'll go where ministers are. The first guy that walks up, about 60 years old, what big pompadour, Pentecostal hairdo, first thing he asked me, what do you believe about tongues? I just got here. I mean... Is that going to be the criteria where we could be friends? You know, that, that was his. I knew instantly. He's saying, I ain't touching you unless you agree with me on my issue. I thought, or how did you vote? Or what, what race are you? Or what, whatever. I thought, how about, am I a thief? A murderer? Am I... A good guy? What, would that matter? If I give you my word, would that matter? If you got in trouble and I'd be there, would that matter? Or no, your big flipping issue is, that was nice. That's the Christian word. That, that's the, you want to you you make your condition based on whether you agree with me on everything or not. Mine's unconditional. I don't care. I may not condone what you're doing, but you will not find me hard to be a friend with. I will not do that. Jesus was called a friend of publicans and sinners. So who are you to be better than Jesus? 
And if we're going to get them in the kingdom of God, and if they're going to be life transformed, it won't come through judgment. It'll come through love. It'll come through getting under God's word, watching the effect of people on you, and God working on you. He worked on me. He'll work on you, and he'll work on them. So get involved and notice people nobody else is paying attention to. Now, if I brought a celebrity in here or a famous person or a rich person or a political high profile, oh, everybody would be going to go over and meet and shake hands with the mayor or somebody that's the head of some agency. Or if Brad Pitt was here, everybody would run. Sorry, Johnny. Everybody want to run over, get an autograph, get a picture or one of the spurs or something. Well, what about people that aren't high profile? What about people that just came in and need a hug or, or, or to be noticed that they're important? You're just telling people that when you notice them. So stop being a cold refrigerator and only loving those that you know. Love those you don't know like that. Everybody loves to be noticed. So verse 8, look at this. Well, look at this. This guy has been sick and blind all of his life. He's been by the side of the road. His geography has not changed, begging all of his life. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him all of his life as a beggar, but now he's seeing, they say, hey, isn't this the guy that used to sit and beg? Well, some said yes, some said no. Some said it looks like him. Now, what's funny is this guy's been blind from birth. He's been in the same place for years, his entire life, and the people have paid so little attention to him that when the miracle happens, they can't even get a positive ID on the guy. That's how ignored he's been. They don't even know what he looked like. Some said it wasn't even the same guy. So two questions to reflect on this week. Number one, are you paying attention to God? The Pharisees missed it. Jesus was standing right there and had done a work, and they didn't see it. And secondly, are you paying attention to people? You know, you want, here's the secret to being irresistible. Pay attention to people. Notice people, especially notice people nobody else notices because people like to be noticed. Everybody does. When you pay attention to somebody, you're saying you're the most important person in my world right now. And that's what Jesus does for the blind guy. We live in a world where people are used to being ignored. So Jesus pays attention to the man and changes his life. The Pharisees are so opposed to Jesus, they try to find a way to discredit him. And what's happened? There's been a clear miracle, but they don't want to see it. They don't want to see the reality of who Jesus is the Son of God, Messiah. Now we see another kind of blindness, spiritual blindness. Verse 18, the Jews, the Pharisees, religious leaders, did not believe he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man and asked them, this your boy who said he was born blind? How then does he now see? The parents said, we know this is our son. We know he was born blind. But as to how he sees, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Now, why did the parents say that? Well, look at the next verse. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. The Jews had already agreed that anybody who confessed Jesus to be Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents says, well, he's of age, ask him. Folks, there are forces in our world today that don't want you to pay attention to Jesus. And devoting full attention to Jesus can, in some cases, involve a significant price. It usually does. Now, the Pharisees call this, this guy back for a second round of interviews. Now, remember, he spent his whole life being ignored. And now, everybody's falling all over themselves to get to him. First, Jesus notices him. Finally, the disciples notice him. 
Then the neighbors notice him. Now they drag him off to religious leaders. And these leaders have a clear agenda to get him to say something to discredit Jesus. So in verse 24, they say, give glory to God, kind of an oath. We know this man is a sinner. Now watch this guy's response. I don't know whether he's a sinner. One thing I know is I was born blind. Now I see. They said, well, who did it to you? How did he open your eyes? He said, I told you already. You wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? A little, little, little smack going on here. I love it. Verse 28. Then they reviled him and said, you're his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. As for this man, Jesus, we don't know where he comes from. Now, watch this guy. He hasn't been in theology classes. He's amazing. The man answered, well, now that's an astonishing thing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. And he's assuming these religious leaders would know anybody who was a miracle worker of God's work. Then he goes on. We know, this is the blind man, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to those who worship him and obey his will. Never since the world began has it ever been heard of anybody who opened the eyes of anybody born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This guy is an orator. This is the blind guy that's just been will work for food. This him. This is incredible. And they answer back angrily, you were born entirely of sin. Are you going to teach us? Yeah. Amazing, huh? And they drove the man out of the synagogue. Now you begin to see the religious leaders' blindness. The leaders see a miracle, talk to the miracle, interrogate the miracle, but they refuse to believe the miracle. They're so busy devoting themselves to rules and regulations, they aren't paying attention to God. God himself comes, and they don't see it. Ever read a book and get to the bottom of a page and realize you don't have a clue what you just read? You saw, but you didn't see? Now verse 35, John 9, Jesus had heard the Pharisees had driven the guy out of the synagogue. This poor man was defriended, defamily, and de-churched in one day. What's your problem, huh? And when he found the guy, Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, who is he, sir? Tell me that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you've seen him, and the one speaking to you is he. So this guy progressively got revelation on who Jesus actually was. He started out calling him the man Jesus. Then verse 17, he calls him a prophet. Then he says, if he weren't from God, he could do nothing. And finally, Jesus goes back, pays attention to the man that nobody had any time for, and says, young man, you're in the presence of the Son of God, Messiah. And in verse 38, he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Your guy is totally converted to Jesus on the spot. So Jesus said to him, who was blind his entire life, you've seen him. Now you can see not just with your eyes, but with your heart. You found the one worth seeing. When the disciples look at the guy by the side of the road, for them it was a theological problem. Who sinned that he was born blind? When his neighbors looked at him, they saw an eyesore, a reminder of suffering and poverty they had learned to overlook. When the Pharisees looked at the guy, they saw violated rules, violated Sabbath, a threat to their spiritual authority. But when Jesus looked at him, he saw an opportunity to do the work of God. He said, I've come into the world for judgment, verse 39. Now that means... That word there does not mean to bring condemnation to people. It, it means is I've come to present people with a choice. 
and they're going to choose one way or the other. They're going to accept me or reject me. There will be a judgment they make that is inevitable because of my coming into their life. I came into this world for judgment so that those who don't see might see that people born blind, that people in sin and guilt could be forgiven and have spiritual sight restored. I was blind. Oh, thank God, now I see. But then he goes and says that those who see may become blind. He's talking to the Pharisees. He said, you got 20-20 vision, but you are blind as a bat as to what God is and what God is about. You can't see it. The Pharisee says, surely we're not blind, are we? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, or in other words, you're refusing to acknowledge your human sinfulness before God who wants to forgive you, now you take pleasure in your stubborn self-righteousness, your sin remains. You're blind. He said, I've come into the world, and here's the deal. There are people who are blind. There are people who have been blinded by their sin and by their guilt. All they have to do is come before God and say, I'm blind as a bat, and God will give you the gift of sight. He'll forgive you, cleanse you. I was blind, now I see. And Jesus says there's people who claim to not need God, who claim they've got all the insight on their own, that through all of their rules and regulations, they must be acceptable to God, and he called them spiritual blind leaders of the blind. And God says, I will allow you to live in that blindness if that's what you want. Watch this interesting video, and then I'll narrate it. Just watch it. Okay, guys, that's John Bell, the world's greatest violinist, playing a $3 million Stradivarius violin in Washington, D.C.'s metro station unnoticed. 1,070 people passed by, paying him no attention. Folks, we can do that every day of our life if we're not careful. Are we paying attention to God? those promptings in your heart? And are we paying attention to the people that he loves so much? I don't want to miss it. And my noticing, every now and then, you change a life forever. Somebody finds Jesus, forgiveness, eternal life, transformation, and they're never the same because somebody noticed them. And somebody noticed some of you in your dirtiest, low-down, deepest, darkest days. Somebody noticed you, or I wouldn't be here. If they hadn't noticed me, I wouldn't be here. And most of you, unless you were raised in a Christian home, wouldn't be either. But somebody had to notice you. So you never know who's walking through that door. You never know who's in a seat sitting over here. But if you don't know who they are and you haven't seen them before, you make sure you notice them. And make sure you notice the unnoticeable because Jesus is out there saying, come on, come on, I know all these other people. Get over and notice this unnoticed person. I see unfulfilled potential in this person. I see a great possibility. Now, they may say yes, they may say no. That's not your problem, but you notice them because I notice them. I notice everybody.
Thanks for joining us today, and may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.